BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. It could happen here. Might, is, possibly. Anyway, I'm Robert Evans. Uh, You know who I am because you're listening to this show, unless you stumbled upon this, having never heard of the internet before, in which case... Uh, This is a show about how things are kind of falling apart and uh, where we also try to talk every now and then about how to maybe put them back together a little bit. My co-host is Garrison Davis. Garrison, say hello to the people. Hello, people. I'd also like you to say hello to Sean. Hi, Sean. Yeah, there's a Sean somewhere out there. There's probably a few Sean's. Yeah, at least least one or two. Uh, Garrison, what are we what are we what are we what, what, what are we? Well, we're we're finally doing something I've been wanting to do for a while. It's branching off into kind of covering different parts of like media and culture um, that kind of relate to all of these topics. Um, I know both both me but both me a little bit and and Robert more so have worked for or have have written for um, like an online investigative uh, journalism website called Bellingcat that deals in open source um, like research. And one of the things that 
we're big fans of at Bellingcat, I've talked with a few of the other people, is a game called Her Story, which is a, a, a video game that has maybe one of the better better depictions of kind of open source um, investigations. Uh, it's it's a it's a very it's a very good game. I I highly recommend it. I played it a few years ago. Uh, it was lovely. And I uh, recently, uh, well, I, originally when I bought her story, I, I bought both that game and like uh, a spiritual sequel called Telling Lies, which I I did did not play for a while because I was too busy. Um, and then I went to the Earth First gathering this summer, and I and I came back and I had some free time, so I played Telling Lies and. Because of the content of that game, I found it really interesting. Uh, because I'm not going to spoil tons of it, because I think you should play it for yourself. And part of it is solving the mystery on your own. But but p- part of it does take place in like a uh, green environmentalism activism setting, and it has one of the more honest depictions of environments like that. So I uh, have I we we are graced with bringing on the creator of both her story and telling lies. Uh, Sam Barlow. Hello. Hey, exciting to be here. Thanks for that lovely intro. Yeah, yeah I'm. I am. I'm very excited to talk with you. These games are some of my favorite things. Um, first off, I guess I would just like to kind of talk about your inspiration for this type of detective game because it is it is unique to every other kind of investigative game out there. Um. And it's you know very much grounded in open source research um, and like using computers in the real world. What what kind of got you onto that kind of storytelling concept? I mean, I think it was, it was a whole bunch of things that all kind of sparked off um, at once. Like when I made her story, this was my first independent video game. So I'd been making video games for ten plus years, um, working on other people's franchises, more traditional things, kind of when I started out working on like Nicolas Cage movie tie-ins and extreme sports games and all these kind of things. Um, but uh at, at some point I got to work on the Silent Hill franchise, which is this this very cool psychological horror franchise. And it's one of the certainly at that point in time, it was one of the few kind of established gaming franchises that had a story that was interesting and, and took place in the real world and had characters and things. Uh, so kind of from that point, I was really digging into uh, kind of a lifelong interest in storytelling, especially what we can do with it interactively and uh, continued to be frustrated somewhat by working for these bigger publishers. Um, and at one point I worked for three years, where I was directing and writing uh, this, this big budget video game that got canceled. And that kind of gave me, a moment to kind of sit and, and think like, what, what do I want to do? Do I want to get on board another of these big video games? Uh, I was very frustrated at the kind of incremental change that you see in the kind of bigger budget video game space. It feels like things happen very slowly, which can be frustrating. So uh, I was kind of looking around. This was when like iPhones, people gaming on their iPhones and stuff was kind of starting to blow up. Uh, the fact that you could now distribute a game individually, digitally, uh, and reach an audience was sort of changing the landscape. So I kind of felt like I should get into that. And so at, at its conception, her story was was me going, what are all the things I've wanted to do that that I wasn't able to do when I was working with these bigger budgets with these more established kind of gaming templates? So from the get-go, it was um, I wanted to to 
deal with characters that essentially lived in the real world. Uh, yeah. Which is a hard pitch, you know. If you're asking for big bucks, every video game has to essentially be about a superhero. It needs to be some kind of wish fulfillment for a, a teenage boy is is generally what people are asking for. Uh, and the the big thing with her story was subtext. Uh, yeah. As someone's interest in storytelling, I was always trying to push how important subtext is and the idea that there is, you know, there are layers to a narrative that you're not spelling out for the audience, that they're going to extract through performance or through whatever. Um, and that was always a hard sell. Uh, when you were kind of dealing with the, these kind of uh, bigger companies that had a very simple idea of what their audience was. So I wanted to prove that the audience was actually smarter than we were giving them credit for. And that if you gave more control to them, if you gave more of the the kind of work of piecing these stories together, that that would be not, not just something they could do, but which would actually be more interesting and more personable. And, um, you know, and with her story, uh, I had... Uh, a kind of lifelong love of like crime fiction and um, slightly more kind of gothic leaning crime fiction. And so I was like, right, I'm going to create a video game, which is in that world and which kind of breaks a lot of the established rules of how you might tell a story. Um, and, you know, a lot of that I was pulling from, uh, you know, my love of uh, some of the more kind of avant-garde literary stuff interesting pieces of, of kind of movies and things, but it was, it was, it was pulling from a lot of different kind of storytelling traditions and ending up in this, this interesting place where, like you say, it's kind of uh, a game experience where you're essentially researching the story yourself and kind of putting the pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. For, for people who don't know, it's like you're basically on a virtual desktop um, and you're sorting through like a hard drive full of footage um, and the versatility of the game and, and, you know, people learning how to use, like, search terms, right? J just like people try to use, like, um, in, in open source, it's called, like, using, like, um, Google operators. It's the same kind of, same thing. Um, but also there's, like, the other side of things. I think uh, Bellingcat wrote an article about your game where they, like, made, like, a Python script to scan all of the videos for specific keywords and put them into, like, different folders and files. So it's, like, you can do the thing where you just, like, search it, but you could, like, take this to a ridiculous level where you're, like, breaking the game open and doing it like you're actually, like, investigating this and you need to be very quick. Um, so I think her story is, is a lovely intro to this type of game concept. And then for Telling Lies, you kind of changed... You changed some things with it. Um, you mm -hmm. made like I guess I guess like an expansion would be the way I would describe it for how it like takes the same concept and pushes it further. And I think watching these things now is very different after being like two years on Zoom, <laughs> right? I'm 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 I'm, sh I'm I'm sure you've heard this from other people as well. It's like you know because 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 of how Telling Lies operates, it's like a lot of it is well you, you open the game because you're basically cracking open an NSA hard drive, so. All of it is video from like webcams and stuff. Um, so you know, watching people talk into like their computer camera like this after spending years on Zoom definitely uh, hits harder, I guess. Um, it was it was one of those things where so when we were first working on this and conceiving of it, uh, which was I don't know uh, maybe I don't know twenty sixteen something like that. Um, there was a leap, right? And as a storyteller, you allow yourself sometimes to take that one leap that the audience yeah. can take with you. And the leap there was like, these people are using video chat a lot. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, and, and as I was starting to put it together, I would start noticing people 
around that time doing video chat in the street on their phones, which was was something I was not used to seeing. And I was like, oh shit, maybe this is not too big of a leap. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think it was Ver- the Verge or somebody ran an article that was says like telling lies is still a great game uh, mid pandemic. It's just real hard to play now. That that like this <laughs> Zoom thing is our lives. I but mean, yeah, yeah, that was like yeah, that was that was a big thing I was interested in at the time was like what what is this doing to us what is communicating over the internet how does that change how conversations and and, and things happen and was kind of looking into some of the research there so that yeah that was wild was uh was was kind of living in that world for several years putting the game out and then spending two years on zoom calls yeah I mean in, in a few ways I think the game has aged very well because of that and because the way people people are more used to interacting with the computer in that format now so when they're, you know, trying to search for these, like, hundreds of video files, I think they can understand it better. Um, so in some ways, I think it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but, yeah, let's see. So I think, well, I, I want to talk a bit about kind of the influences for kind of the surveillance aspect. Because, like, her story is filmed in, like, a police um, interrogation room for basically, basically the whole thing. Whereas this pulls video footage of people like in private moments essentially uh, of course this was like after like the snowden stuff and after all of the other kind of after the you know surveillance became a, a bigger talking point um but what what got you to decide you wanted to kind of revolve the game around this concept of internet surveillance and then you know different three-letter agencies kind of fighting each other a little bit so i think it, it was two things one was in making her story uh, and making lots of decisions somewhat intuitively kind of when it was finished and, and it was a big success and I looked back on it and then kind of when a little bit of time had passed, I then had this very different relationship where I'd, you know, forgotten that I was the person that had made it and so could have opinions about it. And I was really interested in how the, that game established a level of intimacy with the main character that Viva plays that you're seeing being interrogated despite the fact that it's happening through a computer desktop, despite the fact that there's none of what traditionally, you know, the, the agency you would traditionally have in a video game, which, you know, conventional logic would be that's how you would establish the, the idea that this person is alive and that you're in contact with them. Um, but the act of like digging into all this video footage of Viva and seeing her on screen talking essentially at you created this this interesting amount of intimacy that a lot of people responded to. So I was like, well, that's one of the things that, is interesting to me to take further because it's it's very rare that a video game creates this sensation of, of kind of intimacy or of getting close to or understanding people. And then it was uh, Snowden. Um, I think it was one of the the early reports um, from from all the various things that came out via Snowden. Um, there was a particular. Um, operation in the UK, which I think was called Optic Nerve or something. And yeah, the yeah. idea there was that they were spying on everyone's internet traffic. And I think it's a little bit easier to do that in the UK than it is elsewhere. And uh, this one particular operation, I remember there was a PowerPoint slide that was leaked that was like their internal presentation, um, which <laughs> proved that like in any leaked government PowerPoint will be the worst PowerPoint you've ever seen like the, the clip art and just <laughs> terribleness, right? Um, but in this scheme, what they did, and this blew my mind was for a period of, I think it was two years, 
every single video chat that went through Yahoo in the UK was captured yeah. and recorded. And they had this issue, which I think is, if you want to talk about surveillance kind of post uh, 9-11, the the big problem with surveillance and and the extent to which it's now used is like, what do you do with all this data? Like, it's it's, it's just too much. So they, um, they, they were capturing all this Yahoo video chat and attempting to, you know, add the metadata and sort it, which is kind of interesting because that's kind of, to some extent, kind of how something like her story worked. Yeah, 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 um, totally. And the biggest issue they had, and they put up this PowerPoint, and it blew my mind, was um, 30 to 40% of all the video chat through Yahoo at this point was sexual in nature. And they were concerned about the feelings of their operatives who were doing the tagging of all this data. So they'd put their best computer minds on it, and they'd come up with an algorithm which would detect an excessive amount of skin tone and would then kind of flag and silo those clips. And I just remember reading this and being like, what about the feelings of the people whose skin tone you're capturing, right? Like you, yeah. you, weren't, you weren't stopping to think like, why are we doing this? Should we be doing this? You're, you're, you're solving for the problem of like, how do we stop our agents seeing all this nudity? Um, and I think there was, there was a bunch of other anecdotes, right, in the Snowden stuff of people uh, alongside him, like, you know, looking through people's webcam data and stuff and in a, in a voyeuristic way and, and just this constant invasion of, of people's rights. So I think that was one of those things where I was like, oh, this is, this is like new. Like, uh, you know, we now have... You know, you, you you worry about certain levels of like your privacy being invaded and you would certainly worry if someone was letting themselves into your house at night. But we suddenly found ourselves in this position where we have these phones that we put by our bedside at night that have cameras and microphones that are pretty much just running, right? Uh, and capturing and, and just the extent to which now technology has transformed surveillance. Um, and that... That was really interesting to me because I, um, and a big thing I wanted to do, so, you know, I've made her story and like growing up, I loved cop shows and I particularly loved the good ones like, um, like Homicide Life on the Street in the US. There was a show in the UK called Cracker. Um, and these were like, you know, somewhat nuanced in how they sure. dealt with uh, policing. Um, but, you know, you're, you're still, you know, we're in this position now where we're starting to ask deeper questions about whether we should watch this many cop shows. Um, yeah. When they're but, like the main thing on all television all the time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, uh, and that'd be like when I made her story partly, I would pitched the bigger publishers, like we should do the equivalent of a cop show. Like we should do crime fiction or cop show yeah. as a video game. And they would always be like, nah. And I would say, well, look, this is like the evergreen. You know, if you're a book publisher, you have a crime show, you have a crime book. You know, if you, Doing movies, you're going to have some movies with this genre. Yeah. It's, it, it works. And they would always kind of push against that. So when I made Her Story, that was, in fact, like the arc of, of playing Her Story, to some extent, mirrors my arc in that, like, at the top of it, I was like, I want to make an interesting detective game. And I want to deconstruct how detective stories work. And I then started to do a bunch of research where I was digging into well, how do actual criminal investigations work? How does one interrogate a suspect? Doing all that stuff. And then I started to pull up 
what at the time, like there was a bit, it was slightly ahead of like the true crime explosion, but there was starting to be stuff on YouTube and in various places where footage from real investigations was online. And it was starting to get a bit weird and interesting and people were kind of vicariously watching these things and um yeah that uh, raised all sorts of questions they were trying to piece together their own kind of conclusions based on these leaked or sometimes officially released interview segments yeah and it and there was one um in particular i got really into the jody arias case which is like a and and the way the media spun that story and and just really dug into like oh there's like sex and murder and mormons and there's this beautiful blonde woman who now when she goes to court is has gone brunette and and they were endlessly talking about on cable news like her appearance and and setting her up as this kind of femme fatale kind of uh ice maiden um on the flip side of this i think there's like the the thing with um the making the murderer documentary which uh i think i have some issues with how they handle the main guy but particularly how they showed the totally immoral interrogation tactics used Mm. on used on brandon the kid um, and that really cracked that whole thing open, being like, yeah, the way the police are interrogating minors without like, was, without lawyers is shocking. And I think that was, was that was that was part of this transition for me was 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 yeah, going into her story with like the hero of this is the detective. It's Andre Brower on Homicide Life on the Street. It's the genius detective that's gonna come in there and crack this case. And the more I dug into in cases like Jody's, where um there were various, you know, um aspects to that case she definitely did murder uh her lover but there are lots of questions around whether the relationship itself was particularly healthy um and by the end of it like all of my sympathy was with jody not with the interrogator who you watch it and you realize that like the reason this person is in this situation is because their life has gone very badly yeah and the reason for that is everything that's happened in their life prior to this and they've never spoken to anyone about any of this stuff. And suddenly they're in this room with the homicide detective who's like, hey, you can talk to me. I'm the first person that's going to sit and listen to you. And, and all these tricks that they use to just get people talking. And it becomes very intimate and becomes kind of like therapy session. Uh, but by the end of it, so, so for me, like the hook of her story is, oh, you get to solve a murder. But really by the end of it, it's like a character no yeah the, your absolute, empathy yeah. should entirely be with her and it's less about uh seeing justice done right so i even but even coming away from that i was like i still feel slightly uncomfortable with with kind of having made this thing that is reveling in how much fun it is to be involved in the police work or whatever um and so i was definitely thinking about the snowden stuff thinking about that aspect and the extent to which technology has just so empowered policing in general to the point where it's, there's this great, um, like one of the core themes that I wanted to dig into in Telling Lies was that when you see people try and defend this stuff and defend policing in general, it's they, they try and set it up so that you basically have, they talk in terms of families and and very close relationships so they're kind of like well the government is your parent and they're trying to look after you and you understand as a parent you're going to sometimes uh invade the privacy of your children or sometimes you're going to inhibit their freedoms because you're trying to protect them 
And we all understand that, and that's part of being human. And that's all that's happening here with government, right? We're trying to protect you from the big bad, the evil. I saw like <laughs> there was a, some tweet from the NYPD the other day that was like, uh, "You'll be cut, you'll come running when evil is on your doorstep." Uh, <laughs> someone was saying something like that, and 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 for me, once you you take that understanding of of how people relate directly to each other, how families work, the second you scale it to the size of government, it breaks. Like yeah. that, you cannot extend that metaphor. And then when you add in tech, um, you know, the extent to which, uh, you know, privacy has been degraded, our, our freedoms, um, you know, when you start just blanket looking for crime, right, uh, you start creating all the systemic issues that we have just suddenly become amplified. Um, so that, that to me was kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Thought, well, you know, here is like a, a means to explore that. And I like one of the things that was interesting to me about her story that in retrospect was uh, the extent to which it was about watching video, which seems like a dumb thing to say, but like the choice to use real video uh, kind of inspired by watching all these interrogation pieces of footage from Jody and people, um, you know, was, was kind of made oh yeah that makes sense and I just kind of got on with it but then looking back I was like oh well it's interesting because people talk about this game as being an interactive movie but it's nothing like a movie no not at and, all and, and it's not how movies work it, it just happens that it, it uses a, a it, you know, video camera only similarity is that it has live action footage that's it yeah so I was like I, I really want to go even further into that texture and so I was just thinking about and, and when I was starting to do my research like the idea of surveillance and and the commonalities between like classic old school surveillance, i.e., you know, someone sat in a car with some binoculars watching someone, yeah, and and modern surveillance, the, the commonalities are that it's quite boring, right? There's just a lot of sitting so, and watching, or it's a trawling, lot of doing nothing, yeah, right? And but out of that, and when you kind of read the first hand accounts of the people doing the surveillance uh, or some of the depictions of this in media, like there's a level of intimacy that you get with the person you're surveilling, right? Um, where, you know, if you're just sat watching the minutiae of someone's life, if you're listening to a bug in someone's kitchen and just hearing all the just everyday shit in their lives, uh, or if you are, you know, watching them through some kind of technology, um, you're just spending all this time with them. And that's like a, that's like a very non-cinematic thing. It's just like this, that minutiae and the time stretching out of just being present with somebody. And that was kind of, interesting to me of uh just kind of putting you in that headspace and and kind of thinking about uh what that means Um, i think that totally gets through because of the way you break up the conversations and telling lies you have to sit and watch these characters as they're just doing nothing for sometimes like like over five minutes they're just like sitting there um and you do get like very intimate with these characters but it almost but like in a very like creepy way yeah. Where, where you like you feel like I shouldn't be here, uh, which is yeah. kind of the general was, feeling of telling. It lies. was really interesting because I like some people would have a very and and this was you know completely again like trying to process how I felt watching the like the the, the videos of all the various police interrogations and stuff was like this is fascinating because as human beings we're fascinated by other human beings and here is this extremely interesting dramatic stuff where people are just really spilling their lives out why true crime blew up right but then you have all these moral questions around it and obviously with 
Telling Lies, it's inspired by lots of real things, but it's fake. Uh, yeah. And you're watching actors act this stuff. But still, some people would have this real visceral reaction of like, I shouldn't be watching some of this stuff. And and I'd be like, I mean, you you can. It's like, you. that was, that was where it became really not cinematic to me was like, you know, if you're watching a, uh, you know, a noir film or, a, you know, a thriller and you have, you know, or even like the, the, the thing for the domestic stuff for me was, you know, you could watch I don't know, a sitcom, watching any, a, a normal sitcom and the husband and wife are sat in bed chatting. At no point do you feel like I shouldn't be here because you're yeah. in the, the kind of classic Hollywood invisible camera set up. You're this, you know, you have permission to be there as the the invisible camera spectator. And it doesn't feel as weird as it would if you were hiding in the closet of this couple's bedroom. Um, so with the setup on Telling Lies, you, you immediately feel like, oh, like this, I am in this position that I shouldn't be in. So suddenly all those more domestic moments become charged with like a very different vibe. Yeah, because you're watching them and you're you're not invited. Like you're right, you're you know, you're sitting looking at this NSA hard drive and you're like, yeah, I'm not supposed to be watching this. Like this is this isn't they, they never invited me into this conversation. BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the US economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global... You can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.
Telling Lies very much feels like a much more mature game than her story. Not in terms of like has like more mature content, but like in terms of like this concept growing up and like evolving and and gaining more depth. Um, particularly because you know not only just because it has way more characters, but because you know you get to you know all of your kind of games deal with some degree of like characters lying to you and like just doing like straight lies to your face. That's kind of a, a that's my read on a lot of a lot of your games. Um, I mean, you're, the game is called Telling Lies, so um, so you definitely see like elements of of you know all of these trying to figure out what is true and what is not. I think it is interesting looking at like how easier it is to lie via these technological platforms. Um, sometimes it just like you feel like telling the truth is just so much more work, and you may as well just get through with this conversation by doing a few white lies, which then spiral out of control. Um, when you combine this with, you know, law enforcement infiltration, all this kind of stuff, it gets it gets very complicated very quickly. Um, one thing that I think you guys handled very well in Telling Lies was kind of the activism side of things. So, mm. like, when, when I, I played this game, like, almost immediately after coming back from the Stop Line 3 protests um, and, like, and, and, like, an Earth First gathering, you know, everyone there is always very... People try to be aware of surveillance and be like, okay, you know, you don't talk about certain things if there's phones nearby and stuff. So... So that whole side of things was very interesting to like play this game right afterwards because you get to see like the other side of things being like okay if the yeah, if the FBI is infiltrating this group here's you know one of the ways that they do it and like that from my perspective being you know in activism spaces for a while not just like environmental ones but you know other ones like here in Portland um, you had you handled this topic very accurately <laughs> um where what kind of stuff did you pull from to kind of create these like these you know environments and interactions between people because I'm, I'm not sure if you have any experience yourself and stuff like this or if you got people on to talk like, like you talk to people who are more experienced activists what was kind of your inspiration for like you know the opposite side of things not on like the law enforcement so that was that was like one of the big initial jumping off points so uh like in terms of the the kind of real life inspirations, like the the seed of this whole thing was I'm trying to remember when this was. It was uh, I'm going to say 2009, 2010. Could be completely wrong here, but it was um, the Guardian in the UK. I think broke the story, but it was and and we've recently had some good progress in this uh, this area. But um, broke the story of this UK spy cops operation, which was. Um, a specific unit within uh, the London police whose job was to infiltrate uh, groups to surveil them from the inside. And um, it was horrific. And there were like a couple of things about it that were horrific. One of them was that like essentially their modus operandi was to find vulnerable young women on the periphery of groups, target them romantically, and then they would be the collateral to get you know, to, to, to have people then more solidly enter into these groups. And then they had like a whole, you know, stepped plan of like, once you're in, how you kind of would, would destabilize, steer these groups from within. Um, and Great. the, the thing that really made this even worse, um, was the fact that, uh, most of the groups, I think maybe all of the groups targeted, with this particular unit were uh, green activists. Um, there's this incredible, incredible, uh, like you couldn't make this stuff up. 
But um, there's a famous uh, libel case where McDonald's was suing these these two activists in the UK right because they were um, putting up flyers uh, exposing some of the practices of McDonald's. And the group that they were members of, which I think uh, at this point was called Greenpeace, but it, it was different to the, the kind of more famous Greenpeace, um, in London, um, prior to them doing this big kind of McDonald's thing, um, was losing members. And it got to a point where uh, there were so few people in this group that it would have shut down had it not been for the fact that uh, there were a large number of undercover cops in this group. So, you know, if you imagine at some point uh, there were actually more undercover cops and private security people undercover in this group than actual activists, um, which has enabled the group to continue. Uh, And in fact, the original flyer that they put out was written uh i forget the guy's name now um by one of these undercover cops he wrote the copy for this flyer that went out and then was you know saw this these people dragged up in court and was this huge you know mcdonald's won the case but in terms of pr it was hugely damaging to them but yeah that that for me was the thing that seemed even more important because because here you had this story of the state sanctioning the, you know, one of the most terrible abuses, like essentially, you know, what was happening was um, pretty easy to to kind of call it rape, right? There was yeah, absolutely. There were women in sexual relationships with people and thinking it was consensual, but not realizing that they, abs- this was, you know, they what they were getting into was not what they thought it was. Uh, and And so this was just so appalling. And like from a, at just a kind of base emotional level, uh, I just, it was so hard for me to imagine the pain of, um, and these women were in relationships with these undercover officers for years. Year. And, uh, yeah. No, yeah. And like- then, and, and, and part of the modus operandi was when you were done, you had to exit and disappear. And they had this whole plan mm-hmm. where the cops would, uh, claim that they were being followed and that they were worried and then they would disappear and then they would, call from some European country and say that they'd kind of fled the country because they were worried that the, the, the cops were onto them. And then they would slowly kind of disappear. And this, you know, some of these were kind of pre-modern internet. So it was easier for someone to kind of disappear. I mean, like, but like this, and, this stuff totally happened in the green scare in the States in, you know, yeah. around, well, this was, around so this 2010 was, too. This was my big question was, was this, you know, some of these cases were kind of the original inspiration. And when I started thinking about, trying to tell a story inspired by this. Originally it starts off and, and, and is, you know, still in based in the UK and based on these things. And, and there's a particular, uh, a particular flavor to it where the cops doing this work, it was part of the Met police who were, you know, that's the more kind of uh, gangstery, like the, there's, there's a real reputation that the, the Met police have. So these cops that were, chosen for this work were the ones that were a bit more kind of macho and edgy. Um, and there was, there was, I mean, there was so much stuff to it that was horrific. Like they would only pick uh, cops that were married. Um, Jeez. Because uh, they felt that that uh, gave them uh, some level of ability to, to be sleeping with these activists and not lose themselves in it. Um, but obviously the wives didn't know what was happening. Um and and there were just there's so many layers of this that I just thought was uh, was awful and and coming off a of first story I was like well 
I would love to tell an undercover cop story in which we 100% acknowledge that the undercover cop is bad. But yeah, like they are. Like, like yeah. you know, because it's such a classic trope is the undercover cop story because you get to have your cake and eat it. You get to see someone on both sides of the law. You get to, you get all the tension and thrills of it. Um, but usually, you know, whatever, the, even if the, even if the movie or the story or whatever has a bittersweet ending, the protagonist is always the undercover cop. And ultimately because they're the protagonist, they're the one that your heart goes to. Right. And the secondary characters, whether that's like the wife in Donnie Brasco or Goodfellas or something, you know, they, they basically serve as a foil to the main character. So I was like, well, can, can we tell a story where um, we, we treat the wife and the activist who's being targeted and the other people on the periphery of this guy? Uh, let's think more about their perspective on this world and let's acknowledge 100% from our perspective that this is wrong. <laughs> Everything that's happening is wrong and it's not justified. And then let's just see what the impact is on people. Um, so once we started developing it and uh, – when I was speaking to Anna Perner about doing it, um, I felt like, oh, we should move this to the States um, to make it feel, certainly as well, because the, the larger audience is American, to to kind of reiterate and, and make it feel kind of more identifiable and have it be less quaint and British. Um, so my number one question from day one was like, well, does this shit happen in the States? And, and is, does it happen in the same way? And so we brought on a researcher who then started pulling stuff up. And, and the big thing for me was um, replacing the undercover group at the Met uh, with the FBI. Yeah. And, and then I, that became fascinating to me because then I start digging into the FBI and understanding their history and everything that's wrong there. Um, but yeah, immediately I start seeing all these great examples of, of yeah, this explicit infiltration of green groups um, some pretty horrific cases of entrapment um, where, you know, people infiltrate these groups and then encourage them to do more extreme and violent things on the record. Uh, it's the point where you're listening to like recorded FBI stuff and, and you can hear the group being like, I'm not sure about that. Like, that doesn't sound like a great idea, dude. And the, the, the FBI person is there going like, well, I don't know. I, I really do think we should blow this bridge up, guys. <laughs> and and it's so obvious, like, when you listen to it, which is why it's, a lot of these cases have ultimately been thrown out. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was I, I guess, for the project reassuring to see that all this stuff was happening over here. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and, and the yeah, FBI, just, just, like, the, the specific FBI agent that we kind of follow definitely feels very American and feels very real. Um, I, I, I really like the actor that you got to play him. Um, he definitely feels like a lot of kind of the law enforcement dudes who kind of handle this side of things. Um, well, that least, was, that yeah. was, that was definitely, that was like an FBI. He became like the FBI-ness of it became very important to it. And it was interesting the way that the FBI, they had this brand, which is partly reinforced by the media. Like they had the great idea back in like the forties or fifties to themselves fund and support cop shows. Yeah. So this whole idea we have through the X-Files, through pretty much every serial killer media, whatever, the idea of the FBI as being like the smartest and the best, like that's put out by them. But, but yes. <laughs> it's really interesting to see, they believe that like they are 
beyond reproach and um like they have higher standards for like you know if you want to join the fbi there is in theory this kind of moral moral check that you have to pass but let me just look into it fbi agent flipping backwards and shooting somebody when his gun falls out of his pants at a club (laughs) (laughs) well then you read about it and you're like actually the experience the lived experience and and we were it was it was so bizarre because i was like i really want to understand what it's like to be an fbi wife and um, let's find, let's reach out. And I, the research I'd done and some of the stuff we pulled up, I was like, oh, it, it, it does sound pretty bad. Like there's a, a requirement. If you're an FBI agent, you have to move every three years or something. Okay. So if you are the wife to an FBI agent, you essentially move every three years. And so you never get a chance to build your own career or to pl- make roots. And so you're generally, and, and the wage is not great, which is why they're very uh, vulnerable to, uh corruption really um so you're generally living uh there's usually kind of areas where all the fbi families live so it's this very insular world and you you start to see uh where some of these wives have come out and spoken about it they're like it's really shitty because our husbands who believe themselves to be like you know macho superheroes get to disappear for three days at a time. And we can never ask where they are or what they're doing. And there's this kind of internal code, which you see in a lot of law enforcement, right? Where they will cover for each other and protect each other. Um, and you, you suddenly start to see that like, uh, you know, this, this is not like, and in fact, uh, I remember reading. Um, so the, the guy who inspired like silence, the lambs, the TV show Mindhunter was based on him and his book. Um, it's this guy who was one of the early kind of uh, serial killer profiling people within the FBI. You read his book. It's a terrible book. Yeah. Uh, when I heard that Fincher was adapting, I was like, wow, good luck. Um, but it's incredible the lack of self-awareness he has. Um, this guy is so sexist and so bad. Every time he introduces a woman, it starts by from the legs up, like he's describing her. And um at, at the very end of the book, he reveals that his wife leaves him and he kind of writes as if this is a huge surprise. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's calling this from chapter <laughs> one and he has a best buddy. So like the guy who's his, who's the, the kind of number two in Mindhunter on TV, um, there's like a real life version of him. And halfway through the book, his wife hires an assassin to come a hitman to come in and kill him. And the guy just narrowly avoids it. And, and the guy writing the book is, like what an evil woman! Like oh my poor friend, and you're like, well, hang on a minute. What did your what was your friend like? Yeah, his what was wife was what was going on? Yeah, there's 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 probably something going on there. So yeah, it was uh, yeah that that sense that which I think for me expanded beautifully to the bigger picture of like that character kind of believing that he's the good guy. Absolutely, and, you know, he's the sheriff in the western. He's coming in and he's fixing problems and he's saving the world. Um, but and then he and slowly so, falls you know, apart. Yeah, and 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 his inability, like it's such a brittle worldview that these, yeah, these guys have. He, he is he is very once he, yeah once he's exposed to thinking that the world is maybe different, it just totally breaks him. Yeah, the, the, his specific arc I think is extremely interesting, um, and I don't want to spoil it because I think it's 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 too it's too shocking. Once you get to the final piece of his story, you're like, oh wow. Um, I think that was laid out in a really beautiful way, but it's, 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 it's not like shocking away. Like, Oh, this, this like doesn't make sense. It's like, Oh no. Yeah. I can see that. I can see why he's doing this. 
but it's still it's like you kind of slowly watch this guy get broken down piece by piece um as you know because he, he starts he's very much like the superhero fbi agent he's like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna stop these terrorists or whatever and then he just like yeah watching him progress throughout the story and you, you get to see like how pathetic he is sometimes there's a there's a great uh one of the uk spy cops um i forget his name if we were doing this three years ago i'd have had all these names in my head but he um uh, so he was assigned and he was, uh, he infiltrated this green group somewhere in the UK for a couple of years, had this relationship with this girl, um, was participating and facilitating. Um, the, the one detail that I loved and tried to make sure was accurate was all these cops would have a van or they would have like a, a big truck in the UK because they, they realized that like in these smaller groups, like being the transportation was like your superpower. So like if you were someone that was like, oh, I'll drive everyone to the thing. I'll get us all there because I have this big van. Um, that was the easiest way to just kind of make yourself useful. Um, but this guy's doing all that. At some point, um, they decide to pull him and uh, they pull him out. He returns to his wife and his normal life back in London. Um, but he, he can't go back to his normal life. And so he starts and he's done all the, the stuff of disappearing uh, but he just starts getting up and driving and I, maybe he's in the North of England somewhere just, just shows back up and he's like, Oh, I'm back guys. And they're like, Oh shit, what happened? I thought you had to like disappear because people were after you. And he's like, no, it's all right. Uh, and just goes back to living as an activist. Um, and his, at some point, one of his superiors notices that the mileage on his <laughs> police paid, you know, vehicle is huge. And they're like, why is this guy doing so much mileage? And it's because he's driving all the way back uh, and, and continuing to live this life and, and inhabit this character that he's set up. Um, and at some point, uh, I think he gets found out and, and it, it all goes horribly wrong because he no longer has like the fake ID and stuff that they gave him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that, and it's like, that stuff's interesting, but then you, it was always important to never be overly sympathetic <laughs> when you see uh, them struggling uh no to there, there is return to life but. there is certain points where you see the fbi agent struggling because of how like smug he is you're like yes he's struggling and you like get excited when he gets like when he gets like reprimanded or he you know people are like mad at him for various reasons it, it is very interesting how you like how sympathies get pulled in certain directions because like by the end of the game you definitely have a much fuller perspective on who this guy is and how his kind of psyche works. Um, Cause he is really in a lot of ways, like kind of pathetic as like a person. Um, and he like needs to like hype himself up for himself to like make himself feel like he's special. Then when that gets broken down, he just completely collapses. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. 
Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in, so you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. I guess one of the last things I want to talk about is like throughout all of your games you have kind of a, a through line of like fairy tales. You kind of you bring in fairy tale concepts into all of these games. Um and I, I like how a lot of your games are very open ended in some ways. I think her story being much more open ended than t- than telling lies in some ways. Um and I, I really like that it can, you kind of you can't like look up like what is the ending of this game. It's like no, like you have to piece it together in your own brain. Like that, and whatever you think the story is, that's what it is for you. There's no like definitive ending, especially like especially for her story. Um, and how this combines with fairy tales, I think, is, is a really interesting way to like include like mythology into these more modern stories. What's kind of your thought process behind you know kinding, kind of including mythology and fairy tales into these more like modern stories of like you know people interacting with, like, government, law enforcement, and then just, you know, breaking down their own psyches under these high-tense situations. Yeah, I mean, I think it I think it came initially with her story of, yeah, thinking about the, 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 the kind of meta-storytelling-ness of these things, right, of the extent to which they're experiments and, like, how we tell stories. Um, and But a lot of times, like, the myths and the, the, the kind of classic stories are people go to those, right, to try and understand the bigger questions or uh, certainly like um, I guess partly came out of uh, the start of her story. I had like two youngish kids and you, so you're reading them all the classic stories and you realize the extent to which these are just encoding our society's values. Right. Yeah, totally. I had this incredible book that was um, that my parents got for me and I tracked down and made sure we still had when I had my kids that was called, uh, it was like folk tales of the peoples of the Soviet Republic, uh, from like the, the, the early eighties. And it was collected like you, a lot of it was, I think it was Ukrainian yeah, yeah. Folk, folk tales. And they were amazing because they were so dark. 
Like the, the I, I message bet. of each of these stories was trust nobody. The rich will always win. You will end up dead and, and unhappy, right? And each story would start with the poor peasant. His brother gets rich. He asks for help. The brother like is horrible. Like this is one story where the, there's this brother who's like, oh, if you want some grain because you're starving, then gouge out your own eye and I'll give you some grain. And then he comes back for more grain later and he's like, gouge out your other eye. Now chop off your hand. And it's like, they're so dark. Uh, and I'm like, but this is 100% reflecting Absolutely. what it was like to live in that world and grow up. And you're preparing people for, for the realities. So, um, you know, I think that to me was really interesting. And in, 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 in her story tells this story that kind of to some extent grows out of this childhood. Um, and then with Telling Lies, definitely it was part of this idea of, um, of yeah, how Logan's character, David, sees the world and relates to his part in it. And like his utter inability to realize that he's the bad guy in the story, right? And yeah. he thinks he's the good guy. Um, and and that was like, that was partly the key to breaking his character. I think it was his daughter. So he has this character who's like the six, seven-year-old daughter. Um, and that's like, you know, he, he lets down and does horrible things to a whole bunch of people. Um, but the thing he's not going to be able to get over is knowing that he's let his daughter down, right? Knowing that at some point she will grow up and be an adult woman who, if she learns about what her father has done, will, will think less of him and, you know, will realize that he's the bad guy in the, the fairy tale, or whatever. So, um, that was like just interesting to me to, to sit him in that moment and, and have him reading those stories and see, see his relationship with his daughter. Um, and yeah, I think that, yeah, that yeah, I element think it- of just relating those things back to what are these, these kind of base values. And, and so much of those folktales is preparing you for the fact that people are going to lie to you and trick you and, you know, all those kind of uh, aspects. Yeah. A lot of them do deal with like, you know, failures of trusting people and you know getting getting let down and being misled a lot a lot of those do kind of follow on these same same kind of rough templates um let's see is there anything you're working on now that you want to uh that you want to plug um and of, of course you know people should pick up telling lies her story um i have them on steam i think they are best suited to be playing on pc but you you can get them on console you can get them on uh, I- ios uh but in, any anything anything upcoming yeah we're working on uh currently uh this uh project called immortality um which is very ambitious uh it's, it'll be out next year it deals with the story of an actress uh who only ever made three movies uh the latter half of the 20th century um and then disappeared and uh we have recovered footage from these three movies um and it's been interesting because uh with telling lies, like I've always been someone that when I think about the kinds of stories I want to tell, I've always thought that I'm not a capital P politics person, right? I tend to be interested in how people relate to each other and some of the kind of smaller politics. Um, and once I got to telling lies, it was like, oh, actually, like there is some capital P politics here that Absolutely. is 100% tied to all this. Yeah, totally. And so dug into that was like, well, so I want to do right by this, right? So it did involve speaking to lots of people. It did involve bringing in all the research and everything. Um, so coming away from telling lies and, and as, I mean, it was making the game was insane because uh, it was during uh, Trump, right? Trump happens. 
And I remember going into it being like, we're making this story about the FBI being bad. That's a pretty reasonable endpoint. And then once we hit Trump, you had all that stuff of like the good FBI agents in theory, or the, yeah, you know, the yeah. FBI might be the people that bring Trump down. And suddenly they it was 100% leaning into the myth of the FBI. And I was yeah. like, damn it. And just everything uh, getting worse. And it was like, oh, this is like so intense to be making something and speaking to some of these issues whilst this is all happening. Um, so finishing that, I was like, well, okay, for the next project, we are definitely going away from talking about real life issues and capital P politics. And then just accidentally it's become, cause we're talking about an actress in the 20th century and uh, what it means to make movies and, uh, Digging into that suddenly becomes about a whole other bunch of systemic issues. Um, so, we've yeah, not not managed to avoid the politics again, but it's it's think, been a really really interesting project. I think I think once you crack that egg open of realizing that politics are kind of intrinsic to every story we tell, it's hard to kind of it's hard to kind of put that back in the box because once you realize you can use politics in a very interesting and complex storytelling way, that still doesn't alienate a lot of audiences. It's like, oh yeah, this is just using another way to interact with the world. I think that was that was uh, one of the things that was slightly disappointing. I guess with telling lies was like when we were working on it, I'm like, we want to make sure we get these things right because like these are very important issues, and there are some nuances, and so we you know we don't want to accidentally say something that is incorrect, or we don't want to give people the impression that we're you know yeah 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 wrong. Um, so I was expecting some level of scrutiny in terms of discussing the game's themes and everything. Um, and I guess like the, the video games world is still not quite ready for that. Like they're quite happy to talk about the game mechanics and how this thing works and some yeah. big picture emotional responses, but no one's willing to kind of uh, dig deeper. And we had like, as the game was coming out and continues to be, you, you have the bigger name developers being like, there's no politics in our video games. As they're we're like gonna, invading we're countries, make, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. Make a game about you know, you know, being a, a black ops unit taking down communist countries. We're not going to talk about politics. We're going to, yeah, the, constantly, uh, constantly just saying it's it's possible. They'll always say we we both sides it right. We'll we'll tell both sides and let people make the decision. Yeah, and and something that I was very adamant was very important to me on on telling lies was like if we're making this game. It is not, the point of the game is not to give you a mush of information and have you decide the moral, you know, good or bad of something. Like we are going into this 100% with the assumption that we and the audience or most of the audience believe that people doing these things are wrong. And then we're just, and then I'm interested in what does it do to the people? What, what is it like to be in this world? What are the consequences, the ramifications? How does one exist and continue to live a life after having been involved in these things? Um, so for me, a political game is, it, it can't be a, a political story in any media. It, it can't be going back to first principles and pretending we're in debate club. Because that just, I think that's just, that's to influence the audience. I think you can say a political story is one which embraces and acknowledges the reality of the various power struggles and inequalities that we have. And, and then has something to say about it or, or has a particular angle it wants to interrogate or something it wants to shed light on. Um, but it's very childish. And I think we're, we're definitely struggling with this in video games to be like, oh, 
if, if it's about politics, then it should be a, a big question and we should assume no answers, right? And it's like bullshit. Yeah, like we've it seen is complete bullshit. And, and it kind of, it can lead to some problematic ways, which is why you see a lot of, you know, game footage in actual, like, terrorist propaganda, like with like, mm. like with like Nazis and white supremacist stuff. They, they use a lot of game footage in their propaganda videos when, especially when you like both sides of these issues. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I have a, I have a particular interest in the intersection between like politics, extremism and gaming, because then gaming is very important to our modern kind of extremist ecosystem, um, particularly around like 4chan and like, you know, like mass shootings, all of these things mm -hmm. play into game culture. I'm not, not saying games cause these events to happen because they don't, but like the way they interact with these people is actually interesting. You know, this is very different from like the way like the Senate is like, oh, games are causing mass shootings because they're not. Yeah, I think it's it's it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard it's conversation. It's a completely to separate have. thing. It's it's, it's yeah, separate, there yeah. is there is a Fox News kind of hysteria around gaming, but at the same time, like and and clearly, you know, one way I pitched her story when I was telling people why it was interesting, I was like, this is a game about listening. I was like, that's cool because you know whatever you think about the larger politics of it or, or the question of whether video games themselves are inherently harmful or anything. Like the fact that still 99% of the stories we tell are about someone with a gun in their hand or a sword in their hand. Yeah. And the, the, the power dynamics and the story, the types of stories and the types of protagonists, uh, like it's screwed up. And I think to the same extent that the fact that like the Marvel cinematic universe, uh, is about a bunch of glorified cops going around saving the world. Like, you know, you, if you continue to reinforce these things. Yeah, and, and we're, obviously all, all of the art we make are saying certain things about the world and we're reinforcing a certain narrative over and over again and not really thinking critically about it. Yeah, that's the problem <laughs> with making art. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not trying to come off as being anti-gamer. I play a lot of games. I really like gaming. I just think some some companies need to figure out why why certain games are used in mass shooting manifestos and certain games aren't. Um, particularly around like politics, like this is particularly particularly talking about like white supremacy and how certain games kind of play into certain things. Because even even a game like Wolfenstein, which I think handles this topic very well, still will you know get brought up in certain you know propaganda videos because they do have cool shots of Nazis walking around, right? That's the it's kind of the problem with some of these things. Um, and you know if they weren't killing if Nazis weren't killing people as much, this wouldn't be as much of a problem. But because that's still a thing, that's still a thing that. Needs to get talked about. Anyway, this 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 took a very sad sad <laughs> turn towards the end. Um, anyway, yeah, I but I, I will I will just strongly recommend playing her story, uh, playing telling lies. I think these games, you know, interrogate our our predispositions about about kind of police detective work, um, and you just get to learn a lot. You get to learn a lot about like people and characters because like a, a lot of these games, you know, where the setup is like, oh, solve this crime or mystery but then by the end you're solving a very different mystery and you're kind of solving what makes a person tick and it's very you've you, I, I really like the arc that you have in your games they've brought me a lot of uh happiness so thank you thank you for that and thank you for um talking with all of us um ab about your work i've enjoyed it thank you thank you for having me and uh yeah like i say i was i was hoping to have hundreds more conversations about what telling lies was about and, and about these issues when it came out, but it's, uh, you know, that it's, I mean, it's hard, just the general media landscape now, like you put something out there and it comes out and people consume it. Yeah. And move on. Like you don't have that span of like discussion that, that 
I don't know. It feels like it used to used to be a thing. Yeah, um, I, I think it definitely did did used to be a thing, and definitely your games have had an influence on media in certain ways. And I know there's been like a few other like projects that like Netflix is doing that is kind of taking your concept, but not really doing it correctly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No comment. No. Yeah. There's definitely been a lot. Yeah. People always send me them. They're like, Oh, this sounds a lot like a story, this thing. And it's like, Oh, but it's, it's built as not... being nonlinear. Yeah. Storytelling. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's like you, you let people, I don't know. Yeah. Usually it's like, watch, there are eight episodes. You can watch them in any order. Which yeah, isn't isn't how her story works. No, yeah. I'm like, yeah, there's a, there's a yeah, there's a whole different thing going on. But um no, I mean it's yeah, it's interesting times for for that sort of stuff. But um anyway, play these games on Steam and that that does it for today. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Happen Here Pod and Cool Zone Media. Uh do, do you have do you have a social media that you would like to plug or would your people uh, if if people are on Twitter, uh that's where I tend to be despite its Despite it, yeah, I know. So I am, I am, uh, Mr. Sambalo on Twitter. Mr. Sambalo. I, I will say, I, I actually, I actually do like your Twitter account. You, you do, you do post some fun stuff every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of a weird condescending thing to say. Um, anyway, bye for buddy. Happen here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. 